Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Today is a great day for you to be here at Movement. There's kind of uh, some fun things that are happening here, but we're kicking off our Christmas series, our Christmas sermon series. And so obviously this is a great place to start because here you are at the front end of it. And we want to be a church that helps people. We want to be a church that helps people, not just tangibly or physically or, or, or emotionally or spiritually. We want to help in all ways. And one of the ways that we think is most important for us to help is to help people find or discover Jesus and to follow Jesus with their lives. And what we use as our guide is Scripture, is the Bible. And what we find so often is that the Scriptures, the Bible teaches things that are so countercultural to the things that we regularly do and our society believes and the things that we accept as normal or good. And it is, it is a tough thing, it is sometimes a disturbing thing to be shook, to be disrupted by the things that we read in Scripture. And so whenever we come to places where we are trying to learn, trying to, to help one another find and follow Jesus, we have to recognize that the challenge of Scripture is not there to belittle or to demean, but to build up and correct And we want to do this in a loving way. We want to do this in a helpful way. And this series is full of things that I believe are going to help us fight against some of these things that we are told. Some of these things that we experience. And it's almost like we are the goldfish in the tank. We don't notice what's around us until it can become toxic. And so to give you a little roadmap of where we are going in this series called Ghosts of Christmas Past, is we are talking about three things. Today we're going to be talking about this idea that we are so easily offended, and we'll talk more about that here. Next week we're going to talk about this idea, let me make sure I don't confuse weeks two and three here. Uh, Week two is this idea of shame. So many have experienced shame. We've got regrets, and then on top of the regrets that we personally feel, people heap things on us, and we feel shame for mistakes or, or behaviors that we've had in the past. And the third, third week is, is going to kind of be our kind of crescendo for for Christmas stuff, we are going to talk about the labels that get put on us. The labels that we get put on us, because ultimately we believe that God entering into the world, that Jesus coming here at Christmas and celebrating that, we all receive a new label. We all receive a new label. So that's where we're going, but today what I want to do is talk about something I think is far too common in our culture. That line from that song, our sad divisions. I think it's far too common in our culture to play the victim. To play the victim and to get indignant and offended. And I'm not saying that that you're wrong. I'm not saying that you're wrong and that you are being told something that is incorrect. I'm not saying that. But we take such umbrage. We take such buildup of revenge, of bitterness, that it gets in the way. It weighs us down. You know, it may be something rather insignificant that we get offended by. I, I joke all the time about how I'm a terrible, uh, con- I'm not a conscientious driver. Like I get very frustrated with how other people drive. Maybe you're like that. Maybe for you, you're, you're one of those people that if you're sitting down with somebody and they're on their phone, that offends you because you're like, I'm right here, they aren't. Or, or maybe you've seen the, the, the group of people that either are operating just on a whole nother plane of existence or have something figured out that we don't, but the people who use their phones on speakerphone in public, 
we seen these people? Like, I don't know if I should be friends with them or like we should make them wear like a scarlet letter. I'm not sure what the right action is there. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's the things in which you see people that man, they, they, really, they really are kind of attacking you. And so it's bigger than the, just these little things, but it's a, it's a big thing. They're attacking your faith. And we can all get offended. We can all get offended and Christmas comes around. And you're gathered with your friends, you're gathered with your family, and your kids are being your kids, and someone says, man, your kids are really high energy. <laughs> you just kind of let them do whatever they want, don't you? Or, or, or you get the, the you're still comments. Oh, you're still dating so-and-so. Oh, you're still single. Oh, you still have that job. Oh, you're still in school. Whatever it might be, you get those comments, and then all of a sudden, you feel offended. Those are the insignificant things in the realm of some really significant things that could emerge this time of year. As we are around family, or around people that know us best, our, our family of origin, we might be reminded of some very significant wounds. Things in terms of abuse. Things in terms of neglect, of, of a truly toxic environment. And what we're talking about here with offense is kind of separate from those big things. Because when we deal with our offense, when we try to deal with process this with forgiveness, we are not saying what was done to us was right. We are not just rolling over and dying, but we are dealing with it in a very different way. See, for us, we enter into a world of division. Perhaps it's in our families, but it's definitely within our larger society. And I'm not here to say one side is right over the other. I'm here to say that when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating this great unifier, this great truth, this great love that we see in Jesus. I hope that we don't celebrate the love of Christ while having hate in our heart for those around us. Whether it's the people we sit next to at that Christmas dinner, or our friends that we interact with online, or the people we work with. I think that when we are so easily offended, what we do is create a barrier between us and other people. And what are we trying to do as followers of Jesus? Our mission, our goal is not to convince. It is not to conjole. It is not to get people to follow some sense of, of morality or a list or do's or don'ts or even to show up to church on Sundays or, or, or do whatever it is, whatever market you would have. Our goal is to help people find and follow Jesus. Our goal is to communicate this message over and over and over again. And I believe when we get offended so easily, it's harder for us to do this. It's harder for us to accomplish our goal. Like I said, Playing the victim is, is pretty popular. I think it's an equal opportunity offense that people commit. You pick your side of an argument, you'll see people playing that victim, victim card. But when you think about what is first and foremost, what is most important for us as followers of Jesus? What are, what are we supposed to be marked by? I heard this quote from this, this author and this theologian, this kind of pastor to pastors, this guy named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, in my mind, was one of the most important theologians of, of kind of our lifetimes. He recently passed away. But this guy, he wrote incredible books and taught, and he was just somebody that you would just hear something he said recently say, like, this guy has been connected to God. And someone asked him one time, what is the mark of a mature Christian? You go to the wise person, you say, what am I supposed to do? How is my life supposed to reflect that I'm following Jesus? 
And I heard it on an interview, and there's a pause in the audio. And Willard says, the mark of a mature Christian is that they aren't easily offended. The proverb says it this way. Proverb chapter 19, verse 11. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So what does it mean to overlook an offense? Does it mean that we just say, whatever they do to me, it's fine, and we just roll over and die? No. Does it mean that we just allow untruth or toxic things to propagate? No. But what it does mean is that we forgive. And we have to understand that forgiveness is about our decisions, not their behaviors. Forgiveness is about being freed, about releasing something. Forgiveness for us is a way to come and take a step forward. It is here in this proverb says it is to a person's glory to rise above, to overlook, to pass over an offense. We have too much to do to fight over the little things. If you're a follower of Jesus, I believe that our propensity to get offended, even when people attack our faith, is a barrier to our mission. It gets in the way of the things that we're supposed to be doing. Again, that doesn't mean we roll over and die. That doesn't mean we allow things to just happen. But we recognize we have a larger mission here. We should lovingly confront. We we should lovingly confront. But we should not carry the baggage of being offended. Because we're weighted down by it. And it's to our glory to rise above it. So the first thought, maybe if you're taking notes, you want to think about it this way, is this, is that with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. With God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. The Apostle Paul, this guy who had cause to be offended, he has a list of things that have been done to him where he has been, people have tried to kill him in a public execution by a stoning, that he's been imprisoned, that he's been shipwrecked, that people have left him high and dry, people have besmirched his character. He has cause to be offended. And he says this in his letter to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that Paul here is acknowledging that this sort of unity, this sort of embracing forgiveness where we are not so easily offended requires effort. An effort that is not solely dependent on us, but with God's help we can get over this. Think about the last time you were really offended. Someone said something to you and they, they just, it just drove you crazy. And maybe, maybe you're behind a keyboard or maybe you're face-to-face with them and you're just rehearsing what you want to say. And, and you think to yourself, man, the next time they bring this up, I got this zinger and I'm going to do this, I'm going to say this, and it's going to shut them up. And we rehearse this over and over and over and over and over again in our mind. And we have to ask ourselves, all that time, all that energy we're spending, do you think the other person is even giving it a second thought what happened? Probably not. We rehearse this thing over and over and over again. Our offense becomes this monster that we feed instead of just releasing it through forgiveness. Through forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about rolling over and dying. What I'm saying is that there's a time and a place for constructive conversation. 
It may be right then, it may be later, it may be after you do some relational work with that person where we are going to find harmony, we are going to find peace, we are going to resolve this conflict. There is going to be an apology, not because I demanded it, because I tried to understand them, and I'm going to seek forgiveness. But you're not going to have a helpful, productive conversation. You're not going to find reconciliation if all you're focusing on is how offended you are. The second thing is this. With God's help, I'm getting over the big offenses, the big stuff. I know that for some of us, going to your family Christmas brings up all sorts of past hurts, big, legitimate pain, big, legitimate pain. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm not telling you you have to just let it go. But when we have been hurt, we do have a choice. We can really do one of a couple extremes. We can rehearse what happened over and over again in our mind. We can say, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. This is what we often do. Or we can release it through forgiveness. Again, not saying what they did was right, but saying, I am no longer going to be a prisoner of this. This process of forgiveness takes time. But as we continue to seek God, as we continue to follow Jesus, as we continue to try to form our lives into the model of Jesus, we continue to allow the Spirit of God to enter into our lives and and transform our thoughts and hearts, as the Scriptures say, we can pursue forgiveness. The Apostle Paul writes another another letter to the Church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, pause there. He is reminding the people of God, us, the people who are following Jesus, that we have responsibilities. We are set apart in God's eyes. This is not just for our benefit. This is not this life, this this whole way we are doing life is not just about us accruing and achieving things. God says, I have something for you. You are holy. You are set apart. You are dearly loved. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. None of that has to do with being offended. It's the opposite. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Notice what Paul says. If any of you has a grievance against someone, you're mad at someone. Paul doesn't say, present your reasoned arguments as passionately and viciously as you can immediately. He says to forgive, and not just in the general sense, forgive as the Lord forgave you. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how do you forgive someone that seems unforgivable? How do you forgive something that is so wrong, so brutal, so horrific? How do you do this? To forgive someone that hurts you with some to hurt you begins with love. Begins with love. I think we forgive as we've been forgiven. How do we do it? How do we do this? We forgive as we have been forgiven. We recognize the forgiveness that we have received and then understand that we have to in turn forgive. Over time, we're no longer saying, I'm getting over it. We're no longer saying, I'm going to let this go. What we're saying is that God is allowing us to see the bigger picture. I think there's been times in my life, there's probably been times in your life, where someone throws out a well-intentioned cliche that is not helpful at all. Maybe you've been 
in that receiving line at a funeral home. You'd be sitting there, and there's a loved one in a casket right there. And it's the calling hours, the people are coming up, and people don't know what to say, and they say things that they don't mean to be hurtful, but might be. They say, well, God had a plan, that God needed that person in heaven more than here. And it does nothing in that moment. But then at the same time, I think there are, there are points in my life where I look back and I say, that was incredibly hard. That was incredibly painful. I don't understand why it happened, but God used it for good. And because of this horrible thing that happened, I can see some positivity. I can see something good coming out of it. There's a story in Genesis about this man named Joseph. Joseph was the little brother. He had all these older brothers. Yet Joseph, even though in that society younger brothers were not highly prized, Joseph was. And all the older brothers became incredibly jealous of him, so much so that when they were off kind of out kind of tending the flocks, they saw a cistern, this well, and they said, let's get rid of this horribly arrogant, favored child. And let's throw our brother into this cistern, and then we'll tell our dad that wild animals came upon him and, and, and slaughtered him. But then they said, well, wait a minute, let's at least make a buck in the whole process. And so they find some, some, some uh, slave caravan, these traders passing by, and they, sl- they sell their brother into slavery. Well, Joseph ends up in this, uh, uh, this affluent man's house named Potiphar. And he kind of rises to authority and leadership and trust there, even though he is a foreigner, even though he is a slave. And he's kind of caught up in this horribly... I don't know, lurid situation where Potiphar's wife kind of tries to trap him in adultery and Joseph is blamed. And so he's in prison, he's there and in prison and he's there kind of in Egypt and the Pharaoh hears about this Joseph who has wisdom and can interpret dreams and Pharaoh brings the dreams to Joseph and Joseph gives wisdom and insight and says, these dreams are about famine and plenty and you need to prepare because people are going to starve if you don't. And this, this interpretation proves true, and Joseph is elevated, and he's elevated, and the whole land goes through this incredible famine, and so all the people are coming to Egypt to get food, including Joseph's brothers. So Joseph is there with authority. He has the power to kind of say how much food people can get, and in this moment, his brothers are there, the brothers who sold him into slavery, who set off this horrible chain of events for Joseph. And there's this moment where the brothers realize what's going on because Joseph breaks down in tears. And they think that this emotion is because Joseph is about to execute all of his brothers as he had the power to do. What we see in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, Joseph says this, And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I don't think Joseph is saying here that what they did was okay. He says, you sold me. You created this whole scenario. I've experienced incredible pain because of this. Joseph had every right to be offended here, every right to be bitter, to to seek out revenge, and and to just be consumed by it. Yet he is able, through forgiveness, I believe, to see the bigger picture here. See, it's it's to our glory to overlook things. We have too much to do. We have too much to do to be caught up and consumed by these offenses. Understand that we have an opportunity here. We have an opportunity to change 
how things play out. When we're consumed by offense, we're consumed with thoughts of revenge, all we're doing, all we're doing is getting in our own way. All we're doing is preventing an opportunity for God's work to move forward. All we're doing is depriving ourselves, depriving ourselves of some freedom, of some love, of some forgiveness, of some truth, of some grace. And you might say, okay, Josh, that's, that's great, like, but how is this connected to Christmas, right? Are we going to talk about the nativity scene and all that? There's a metaphor in the Bible that talks about Jesus, and it's a true metaphor. It's 100% true. This metaphor is that Jesus is the Son of God. I fully believe this metaphor. But there's something interesting that happens in my line of work where people ask me questions that I often don't have the answer to. But sometimes those questions will be questions I haven't really considered. I remember when I was working with teenagers some years ago, someone asked me a question about, okay, how does this work? How is God having a kid? How does this work? And then you're thinking, like, you're 14, and this is a much larger conversation. We need to get your parents involved, all that stuff, right? But it it got me thinking. Like, Jesus isn't the JV team, right? Because this metaphor, like all metaphors, are there to help us understand something that's not understandable. And this metaphor is true, but it's not complete. We need the metaphor because we can't understand it. Well, there's another metaphor, and there's another way to look at the the language there and translate it a little bit differently. Just as we could read that that Jesus is God's Son, that God sent His Son into the world, like from John 3.16, a verse that perhaps you know. It's easy also to read this as saying, God came as His Son. Do not miss who Jesus is. Jesus is not some lesser part of God. Jesus is God coming to us in the only way we can understand. And what do we see with Jesus? We see Jesus confront people. We see Jesus speak truth. We see Jesus be very confrontational, right? But I don't think Jesus ever got offended. I don't think Jesus relished embarrassing someone or sought that out i definitely don't see him seeking revenge so what's your excuse in john chapter one john the apostle takes another metaphor the word the word is this greek idea this greek word logos and this greek word is kind of a way of saying that This is the spark behind everything. This is the creative energy behind everything. He uses a Greek term and says, you know what? This is really Jesus. In a translation called The Message from John chapter 1, verse 14. John says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory. Like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to go into a time of communion here. But we think about this idea that God comes to us. 
God and all of God's immense power and creativity and authority and truth and love, a, a power that we cannot even be in the presence of it, so that God has to come up with a way. I'm going to enter into the world through Jesus. This, this is absurd. Like I get why people don't believe this story. I really do. But the more I encounter it, the more I, I read the story, and the more I live my life, I have come to a place where I cannot do anything but believe it to be true. In this absurd story, we see God come to us. And think about there on the cross. This Jesus who had the humblest of humble beginnings could in just a thought wipe out the people who are embarrassing him, who are torturing him, who are executing him. He could have had the most indignant, righteous offense. He could have had that anger, and he is God, so God could do whatever he wants. God could have cast down fire on those Roman soldiers. He could have struck them dumb, deaf, and blind. He could have done whatever he wanted to them. And he says, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. The night before that horrible scene, he comes together with his closest followers. And they think this is a meal of celebration. This is a meal of coronation. This is Jesus taking his rightful place as king of Israel. And it becomes this funeral meal. It becomes this meal of remembrance. And so as everything is literally falling apart around him, he's been betrayed by one of his closest he is going to be arrested that night, sham trial thrown together in the middle of the night. His followers will abandon him, and then he will be beaten, he will be whipped, and he will be nailed to a cross to slowly die. In less than 24 hours, it'll be over. And so Jesus gathers them with this meal, and he says to them, whenever you gather, I think perceiving into the, history, or into the future and seeing the ways in which the church will be persecuted and ways in which the church will get comfortable and the ways in which the church will become ineffective and the ways in which the church will passionately pursue God's work. He sees all of that and he says this, whenever you gather, eat of this meal to remember what I've done. And he takes a loaf of bread, he breaks it up and passes it around. He takes a cup, he passes it around. He says, when you eat of this bread, remember that it's my body. And when you drink of this cup, remember that it's my blood. And so here at Movement, we celebrate something similar. Here as the band is about to play, this is a time for us to maybe embrace forgiveness because we have been forgiven. This is a time for us to consider the absurdity of the true Christmas message that this is not about consumerism and events and all the fun traditions, but this is about God coming to earth and we got to do business with this. we gotta do, We got to reconcile some things. we got to ask ourselves some hard questions. Or maybe it's for you just to say, God, I want to experience that love and that forgiveness and I want to share that with others. So after I'm done praying here, the band will play and lead us in a final song. And these tables at the front are open to you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you to come take a piece of bread, dip in the juice and eat it. And by doing so, you are honoring, you are remembering, and you are celebrating Christmas. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for forgiving us. God.